Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing crickets at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Dave Edwards. Dave, hi. Hi, he goes. I was just waiting for you to say and Sam Perry, but uh, Sam Perry is not with us this week. That's because he's just on a, this week. He's on assignment in Melbourne. He's on assignment, and uh, the reason for that is because he's going to be interviewing Christopher Rogers, Chris Buck Rogers, one of Australia's great Test cricketers, will be joining us. Mm via the Melbourne Fox Sports Studio this week. We look forward to that interview very much. Looking forward to it. But you know what, Eddos, you and I are not missing out because we get to talk to Ryan Carter's uh, Sydney Sixer, uh, creator of Batting for Change, the uh, wonderful organisation, and all-round nice guy, I must say. Uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to that, and I hope you are listener too. Uh, Dave, big show, big show this week. Double header. Um, double header. Uh, we're going to talk about Australia-Pakistan. We're going to be previewing the Boxing Day test, the second test, Australia v. Pakistan. India and England, that series is wrapped up, and, of course, the Big Bash kicked off last night. I do remind our listeners we record on a Wednesday evening. Last night was Tuesday night. You are listening to this on a Thursday. <laughs> I'm telling you what you're doing in your life. How lonely yeah, are you? Yeah. Took her for a drink on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm joined by Craig David. Dave, let's talk about um, let's talk about Australia-Pakistan. The test match finished up. It was a day-night test match at the Gabba and Australia almost lost the unlosable match, but wasn't it awesome? Mate, it was an absolute ripper, wasn't it? I was just uh, on social media the other day and weren't Cricket Australia licking their lips over the outcome? Yeah. I saw that the, <laughs> yeah. the head of uh, CA Digital was yeah. uh, basically salivating over their engagement figures <laughs> on Twitter. You know, the yeah. amount of the viewership and the, the engagements they had towards the end of that test on the fifth day, no less. Yeah. Um, you know, to be fair enough, there's nothing better than looking at online engagement stats and then thinking of exciting ways to monetize that data. <laughs> um, I've always said that, and you'll back me up on that, he goes. But it was a great test, wasn't it? And what a thrilling finish. Yeah. I mean, uh, anal- analytics, Twitter analytics aside, uh, I mean, for those who, who, uh, who don't know what happened, perhaps you know, our internationalists don't know what happened, but Australia set Pakistan an imposing 490 to win with, uh, with about two days to bat. And Pakistan, you know, they did their best. They hit 450. That's one of the highest fourth innings totals in the history of cricket, uh, uh, albeit in a losing side. Um, they... They got they got close. I think the last two wickets fell in the space of about a run or two yep. runs. Um, 
uh, Assad Shafiq scored 137, a wonderful 137 in the fourth innings. I mean, they got so close, but it was all it was all too much in the end. And the fifth day, Stark took the uh, penultimate wicket, and then Steve Smith finished the Test match with a, an exciting run out from first slip. If, that, if that's not the most <laughs> Pakistani thing ever, hitting 450 in the final innings and then getting run out from first slip. Yeah. I don't know what it is. After getting absolutely rolled in the first innings and us questioning why they're even here on tour. <laughs> yeah. you know, is this the worst Pakistan side ever? We're rating them out of 10 zeros for all of them. Mate, no one knew what was going to happen at the Gabba. You'll remember, he goes, we were all talking about the humid conditions and what the pink ball will do. Mm. Day five wasn't doing much. <laughs> it wasn't doing much. It really much. wasn't doing much. <laughs> no. Nah. I mean, the whole test match was hinged basically on Australia sending Pakistan into bat at mm. night on the second day. <laughs> and, geez, it looks, to me, it looks real hard to bat yeah. at night, Dave. I don't know about you. I'm sure Nick Madison will back me up. He's facing reverse wing <laughs> Yorkers from Rabada. But uh, uh, it, a lot of heart from the Pakistan team. A lot of heart. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have also been talking about the, the decision that Steve Smith made mm. to not enforce the follow-on, mm. uh, something that's kind of been de rigueur for the Australian team ever since that, that VBS laxman Dravid <laughs> partnership all those years ago, still burning yeah. in the memory of oh, all current hurts. and former Australians. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on, on that decision? I mean, I know in this high-performance year of cricket, mm. it's important to give the bowlers a bit of rest, a bit mm. of respite, mm. uh, you know, especially with Pat Howard at the helm, you know, all, the, all that kind of sports science and analytics and so forth. Yeah, yeah. But do you think it was a misstep by Smith? No, I don't think so. At the end of the day, like they, like, okay, they almost got 490, and that would have been... <laughs> yeah. like, like, I was WhatsApping you and Sam uh, yeah. throughout, as you will recall, and I was saying, geez, I hope Pakistan win, because I think it'd just be awesome. Yeah. Um, and also, there's something about Australia's Afro-aggression, which just annoys me, <laughs> and I just love Pakistan. I love the Westerners, yeah. I love Pakistan, and I've said this many times, but I think, I think world cricket is strong when they're winning. So Something it, like masochistic about it, like watching how desperate the Australians were getting <laughs> yeah, on yeah, towards yeah, the end yeah. of that. Like, you could yeah. see in their faces like, yeah. the anguish and the agony they were going <laughs> yeah. through. Australia is a Bond villain. And, yeah. you, and you want them to, like, as much as you are born yeah, in the Bond yeah. villain family yeah. and you want them to succeed, ultimately you want James Bond, i.e. Pakistan, uh, to, <laughs> to, to defeat them yeah. and, uh, and kill them in yeah. a painful manner. Double seven analogy. <laughs> so, I don't know, Steve Smith's decision. I mean, I, like, these bowlers have played a lot of cricket, Dave, and they're only going to play more cricket. So, I think they need as much break as they can. Yeah. There's, there's talk about, um, you know, Australia resting some players for the Boxing Day Test match. They've got a week in between tests. That feels like enough. But, yeah. I mean... In our era growing up, uh, this wasn't as big a thing in, in, in the UK, but in Australia, certainly, like if you were an age group bowler, you could only bowl 14.6 deliveries mm. per hour. Yep. Uh, you know, there was all these weird regulations yeah. and like obscure Wrapping scientific youngsters numbers. Wrapping youngsters in cotton wool. Yes, yes. And so this feels all very similar to that. So I, I don't know. Like at the end of the day, we won the test match, but it was, it was close. There were playing great cricket. A lot of jokes when a 15-year-old would come on and, <laughs> yeah. you know, into his second over. Yeah, yeah. Take him off. He's done. Restrictions. <laughs> stress fractures. <laughs> cotton wool. Dave, I want to ask you about the run chase itself. So there was yep. a lot of criticism um, about the way uh, Pakistan went about it because there was a lot of like slog sweeps and they're being very aggressive in yep. chase. And, and the Channel 9 commentators, although maybe a bit harsh to uh, critique them, you know, although saying that, given any chance. <laughs> um, but but like what they wanted Pakistan to do was just to block it out, just, yeah. just negate. But there's been... Have they never watched a game that Pakistan's been involved? Yeah, well, there's that as well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the arrogance of not knowing a guy who's played yeah. 51 tests in Asad Shafiq, who's got 137. Yeah. The, the arrogance of them... Seven or eight tonnes. ...boasting that like they knew nothing about him is quite astounding. But, I mean, that aside, um, they wanted Pakistan to like just negate, just leave lots of balls go, don't play any reverse sweeps, no. uh, don't be aggressive, but... No one has ever chased 490. So, like, and, and everyone, yeah. everyone gets bowled out in the fourth inning. So, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, surely you're likely to 
do like do the same thing and being bowled yeah. out. So I, I was loving that they were just teeing off. Yeah. You know, like a, a Seif was just like just bombing them over cover. Just sorry, Amir, and, not a Seif. And weren't they doing it with a smile on their face I as love well? That. It was just really refreshing to mm. see. They were clearly enjoying yeah. uh, being the Bond villain. Or no, sorry, you, you were saying they were the James Bond, weren't they? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, I've got the analogy mixed up. <laughs> but they were certainly relishing in Australia's discomfort, I felt, yeah. which was good. Yeah. Um, Nathan Lyon, the love-in for Nathan Lyon. Can we talk about that just for a few minutes? I mean, like, it's to me, there's something about it and the whole nice Gary thing. Um, I mean, but yuck. then every time, every time, yes, yuck, correct. But every time Nathan Lyon touches the ball, he gets, like, this kind of, like, Bronx cheer. And, yeah. like, it all feels a bit insincere, the love-in for Australia's greatest ever finger spinner. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? I saw a bloke wearing a nice Gary shirt as well at the Gabba, you know, so obviously they're monetizing his brand image now and his catchphrase, which is taking on a whole new life of its own. Look, I don't think Australia, the team and the public take Nathan Lyon seriously enough. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a, that's the issue. I mean, his skipper doesn't bowl him for a start, yeah. not getting any overs. Yeah. Um, so he's just kind of becoming the guy in the team who, mm. who everyone likes, mm. but they're not threatened by him. But even like being referred to as goat, like greatest of all time, yeah. even that's kind of like, sarcastic no, like sarcastic. You, yeah. You're not actually greatest of all time. Yeah. Well, statistically, you are in fact the greatest finger spinner Australia's ever produced. And like, there's only been two spinners in the history of Australian test cricket day who's mm. taken more wickets than him. Richie Benno, Shane Warne, but we're yeah. still taking the piss out of him. Uh, I think he's just got to get rid of that nickname, however he does it. I'm not mm. sure. I mean, it's kind of like when you get a pet nickname, you know, in, in your grade cricket team or maybe even your girlfriend or, or whatever. I mean, I remember we had, a, we had a, a listener DM us about a situation he was in where his girlfriend was nicknaming him Boof. Uh, she was American, didn't know that it was the nickname of Darren Lehman, and he wondered, what, what, what do I do, guys? I recall that. Yes, cricket. I recall that. Um, you know, he should just, you've got to start getting people to, back. you know, Goat is a good nickname, mm. greatest of all time. I mm. think he should be trying to redirect that and maybe mm. get some more prestige back because mm. nice Gary is a, is a stock lame catchphrase mm. and it's just not doing him any favours. So if I can return to our own experiences, Dave, you and I played a lot of junior cricket together. We played some representative cricket together when we were younger and we played in the... <laughs> we played weren't in the, we good? <laughs> we, we were so good back then. You were. I, I was just part of the team because um, <laughs> my dad was manager. Um <laughs> <laughs> was he a game? No, he wasn't. No, I made that no, up. But never came to any games. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but we played in the guy, and and we just we we nicknamed him Teeth because he had big teeth. So, so like, literal. So so I mean, we should caveat that with we were fifteen or sixteen at the time. Should have yeah. known better, sure. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, so physical traits should never be picked on. Yeah. So I, I don't know what he should have done to avoid a nickname the same way that you're suggesting Nathan Lyon. Should, well, I think he's a fitness get... model now. Yeah. <laughs> so that maybe that's what Nathan Lyon could do. Instagram let's, model. Uh, let's 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 quickly talk about the second test match, Dave. Um, Dave, who's Hilton Cartwright? Well, it's a question on everyone's lips. Suddenly, isn't it? He goes, yes. it "Wasn't on my lips yesterday, but today <laughs> it certainly heard is." Heard of him? No. I don't know, mate. I, I don't want to learn about any new cricketers. No. I've already had to do that. Mm. Recently, and mm. it was arduous. It, mm. it was time consuming. Time consuming. Um, I had to learn about Renshaw. I had to figure out, you know, the life history of Hanscom and Madison. And now I've got to learn about Hilton Cartwright. I mean, sure, he's a great player. Yeah. And you know, a cursory look at his stats shows that he's probably good enough to do a job. They want sure. to bring in a, a batting number six. So mm. Mitch Marsh doing all right with the ball, not enough with the bat. So mm. that's obviously what they're thinking is there. Mm. Um, the selectors have been clearly galvanised by the success of Renshaw and Hanscom. Mm. Mm. Not a lot of success by Madison, but mm. you know, 66% chance. No, 67% success rate is yeah. good enough. Two good out enough. of three. Good enough. Uh, I've always said that. Meatloaf said that. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three out there. So are the Australian selectors. <laughs> so they're taking a punt on this guy. Not sure if he'll get a Guernsey, but I mean, 
you you've done a bit of research on him, haven't you? Well, there was there was a story went up about him, and uh, I've just obviously because he's a new player, so we have to delve into his entire family history. And yep. there was a story come out. His, his family of tobacco farmers were forced out of Zimbabwe right. by the Mugabe regime uh, when he was about seven years old. Uh, Cartwright has made his life in Australia and is now set to wear the country's famous baby green cap yeah. after impressing selectors with a first-class average of 44.5 and an ability to hit the deck hard with his part-time medium pace. Nice. Obviously, I'm reading that. But um, I don't know. Like, but judging so That's the Mugabe regime. They've got a lot to answer for, don't they? <laughs> they probably... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> First Pocock, yeah, he, he's a former Zimbabwean guy yeah. to do great things, yeah. And I think Colin, the great man, mm. uh, Grand Hom, the Grand Hom, sure, over in New Zealand, he's a yeah. former Zimbabwean okay. as well, yeah. So now this, you know, Mugabe's mm. iron fist has cost Zimbabwe a lot of sporting success, yeah, yeah, amongst other things, of course. I don't know, I mean, like, which we're just trying to find 2005 Andrew Flintoff, yeah. That's what that's all we've ever done. That's what Shane Watson was, and Shane Watson, you know, to be fair, had a stellar career, and whatever you think of Shane Watson, he was an important cog in the Australian team for a long period of time. Mm. Um, and, and now Australia, without him, are, are struggling to f- replace him, basically. Yeah. And, and, and Mitch Mars had his struggles. There's, there's obviously the suggestions of James Faulkner as well. Maybe that's a thing. He's done very well in the one-day attempts. Different, different beast, Test Match Cricket. There's Moses, obviously, Moses and Reeks. It's so. a great time to be a middling all-rounder. Yeah, it there's is. There's no better time. I mean, I, I wish I was around him. That's exactly what I was, <laughs> a middling all-rounder. I just, I just want to know why we have to try and find 2005 Andrew Flintoff. Because yeah. like, he just revolutionised Australia's perception. Like Australia's perception is that Flintoff won that Ashes by himself. Yeah. And we're still rocked. Um, by that in, yeah. in many ways. I just, it just Much I mean, like we're rocked by the VVS Laxman and Dravid <laughs> partnership all these years later. <laughs> we don't recover well, do we? We recover very poorly. Mental scars. Rocked to our core. I mean, this whole, all this, this whole thing found, this feels very much like, I mean, Australia's uh, involvement in the $200 million project to find uh, Lost Flight MH370, which we just <laughs> have discovered that we have no idea where that is. And no similarly, idea. we have no idea where the 2005 Adrian Flintoff is in Australia. We've got no, no idea where it is. But no, it's uh, somewhere off Reunion Island, I think, washed <laughs> up there. Dave, just really quickly, um, um, the Big Bash has started, and we're excited by that, aren't we? We're excited yeah. about the Big Bash being here. That means Christmas is around the corner. means exciting new colours, seeing uh, great players uh, who, who retired from international cricket a number of years ago, still getting that one big payday. And yeah. we like seeing that because it's home comfort, isn't it? Uh, any, any, any little home comfort I can get these days is, mm. is, is greatly appreciated. I love mm. the graphics package they've gone for as well. I'm not sure if you <laughs> caught that. Very dynamic. It's good to see new commentators, fresh faces. Sure. It's also great to see cricket on a new network. Yeah. And, and I think uh, mm. a great part of that is getting to see the ads on Channel 10. Yeah. I, haven't, uh, <laughs> I, haven't, I don't watch a lot of Channel 10 these days, although no. I hear that Waleed's killing it on a lot of issues. <laughs> but um, – one interesting thing I saw was that yeah. some of the ads for Neighbours, okay. Toadie's ex-wife, <laughs> who they got married and then they drove off a jetty into water and she was presumed dead, but apparently she's back. She's back? Yeah, she, Toadie's wife is Bombshell. back. Bombshell. So, I mean, Toad- I know our UK listeners are probably yeah. uh, following the, the Toadie ex-wife storyline. You know, More than their the Big affinity Bash. With neighbors. More than the Big Bash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So tune in after the Big Bash to see what's happening on Ramsey Street. Well, I think we've just got the, the title for this podcast. Um, Dave, we will t- touch on England. Um, we're sort of running out of time uh, to, to fit in this segment, but we will touch on the, the, the series that's just finished over in India, India versus England. It's, it was a whitewash. England lost the, the fourth test match in the final session on day five. Um, England hit 477 in the first innings. You're thinking, yeah, we're in a pretty good position here. Then India replied with their highest ever score in international cricket and scored 759 for seven declared. Yeah. Uh, Karun there playing his third test match, just hit 303 not out. Um, wow. Yep. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you a question, Dave, in that there's been a lot of reaction to from Australians in that 
where we think we're killing it because we beat Pakistan at home <laughs> when they almost chased down 490 and we're just reveling in England losing to India yeah. when we're going to go there in February or March and we're going to get absolutely oh, dominated. We've, we've talked about it in the podcast before, but isn't it just shaping up as one of the greatest shellackings in international yes. cricket history? When yes. Australia goes there, I mean, we've got a bit of time now to, to formalise our team, you know, the, to see who we're going to take on this tour. Mm. But it's coming around a little too soon for my liking. There's, there's, mm. yeah, I, I feel like yeah. we might be in for a bit of a show over there. Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of my big things taking away watching, I've, I've, I haven't watched any like any extended period of time, but I watched the highlights. You don't have Foxtel, no. Um, but uh, but Ravi Jadeja is the greatest player to ever play cricket in India. He wouldn't play fourth grade in Australia. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. is rubbish. Yeah, like some of the wickets great. that he's like some of the balls that he's getting wickets from are just dr- like if you play in Australia, yeah. he's getting wickets from like half trackers, half follies, just spinning like hitting the oh. splice. Half trackers keeping low, spoons mid wicket. It's yeah. weird. He is unplayable in the subcontinent. Anywhere else, yeah. he is village. But he's he's used to playing on dust. He's grown up mm. playing on dust bowls. Grown up on dust bowls. And we've grown up on beautifully curated wickets and lush outfields <laughs> and wonderful pavilions with nice tea spreads. <laughs> Chris Rogers coming up. I'm generally away during the winter, so I have the entire summer to spend at home watching cartoons with the kids. And I really love my OLED TV. Like, really, really love it. One of the things I look forward to most when I come home is actually to be able to sit down on the couch in front of my OLED TV and just say the word OLED repeatedly. I really like saying the word OLED. I'd never heard it before, this paid commercial. But I enjoy the way it rolls off my tongue, like some kind of exotic Spanish word. OLED, OLED, OLED. <laughs> it drives my wife nuts, but, but the kids love it. And I get LG OLED TV. OLED. You'll hear it a thousand times this summer. So go on, try saying it a thousand times too. Edo's Pez is on the line. He's called in. He's from Melbourne. Uh, nice one to join the show. Uh, in spirit and on the phone. Pez, hi. How are you going? Hi. Good. This is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird that you're not here, not only because you're not on the podcast, but you won't be joining us in the post-podcast showers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's the thing I'm going to miss the most. That's what everyone says. I've got no one here to hold my hand, both figuratively and literally. Well, the reason you're not here, Pez, is because you're down in Melbourne. We're giving some love oh. to our Melbourne listeners, aren't we, this week? And you've got a pretty special guest on the show. Yeah, a lot of people writing in saying that we don't show Melbourne enough love. So uh, I stayed down. That's not why I stayed down, but I'm down here. And um, I was lucky enough to get an interview with Chris Rogers, uh, of all people. So, yeah, we went into the studios uh, in Fox there. Uh, It was a really small studio as well. I think I refer to that in the interview. But um, it was really, really small. And then Max was in there, the um, sound guy as well. Anyway, um, great interview. Great guy. I was a little bit giddy about the whole thing, to be honest. I gave him the list home afterwards, and I I, I got home and um, I said to my wife, "Like, um, Chris Rogers was in was in your car. He's famous." Um, And then I realised how silly I sounded. Most famous person you've ever had in the passenger seat of that Nissan Pulsar. Yeah. (laughs) Did you clear the solo bottles out of the back out of the passenger seat? Yes, syrupy Gatorade bottles. It was a good interview, though. I enjoyed it. Uh, we look forward to it, mate. And we might throw it on now. So here it is, Chris Rogers with Sam Perry. Well, it's a very special pleasure on the Grey Cricketer podcast. As I sit in this, like, strange, very kind of, like, 
What, 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 what are we talking about here? Like it's it's, clo- it's it's a claustrophobic room. We've got the sound guy Max in here, and I'm also sitting here with another legend of Australian cricket. So the guy I'm sitting with played 25 tests, just over 2,000 runs, highest score of 173. Let's just define him by numbers. Average of 42.87 to the second decimal point. 500s, 1450s. But let's talk about the first class record as well. 30, 313 matches. Over 25,000 runs, high score of 319, average 49.55, 7,600 and 122 half centuries. Chris Rogers, a real fall from grace to be on the Great Podcast. <laughs> nah, thanks for having me, Sam. But luckily, it's only uh, you and me today, isn't mm. it? It's a bit, bit, bit small in here. Mm. Um, we always ask, like, we always say the same thing when we kick off these interviews. And I've heard some stories about you as well, so just mm. be prepared. But, um, <laughs> What is your relationship to grade cricket? Um, well travelled, I think. I've I've played for five grade cricket clubs over my time: three in Perth and and two in in Melbourne. When I when I first came, to me, I actually played for Essendon, but was living in Prans on the other side of the the river. And then I found out all the all the Pran guys were were going to the College Lawn Hotel on a Sunday afternoon, so that was good enough for me. But actually, um, I became a, a life member at at uh, Pran Creek Club after a few years. I think I'd played 19 games and averaged 29. <laughs> um, and, I, and this night we had a presentation night and I, and I got this award with uh, David Hussey, Bryce McGain and, and a club legend, Neil Schlittler. And, yes. and, and a I, friend I, of, the, of the account, actually. Yeah, Schlitz, yeah. He's, yeah. he's very funny yeah. himself, isn't he? Um, and, uh, and, and I felt, you know, I felt out of place because all these guys had played a lot for, the, for Pran. So... I went up there and, and really wanted to give this nice speech about, you know, how much it's meant to me and how, how good these guys have been. They've been my, my mates in Melbourne and stuff like that. And I said, you know, this award just means so much to me. Got this big round of applause and then walked off, completely forgot the award, left it up on the podium. So, yeah, that, I'm not sure how well that went down. Well, you've alphabet the life membership, really, and that's <laughs> yeah. what you should do if, you, if, if you've, you know, played Test Cricket for Australia. But, like, I, I guess, Chris, I mean... I always talk about being like earnest on the show. I'm the only one who does it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, like I admire you because I don't mean to be sycophantic about it, but like you seem to, unlike so many other cricketers, almost any other cricketer, like you traverse the whole cricket scene really gracefully. Like you are a bona fide test player who, who achieved greatly for his country. You also retained a connection to, you know, club cricket and like obviously your first class career is almost unrivaled. Um do you hate cricket? <laughs> no, I, well I don't know. I, I I like cricket. I mean I love cricket, but I, I like the lifestyle even more. That was that was the thing. It was it just kept me out of a job. So um yeah, it was it's been some great times and 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 you just meet so many people, and, and that's been the best thing about it. So, um, yeah, and and actually, a lot of people say it, but your best mates are your, your club cricket mates. Yeah. Not not so much the guys that you kind of you play professionally with, because that kind of you, you go up there and, and players come in and out. But grade cricket, it, it seems to be the same blokes for a long period of time. Mm. And so you're still, I mean, that that per, let, let's talk about your club cricket side, right, Paran. That was that was a good side. David Hussey, Bryce McGain. I mean, did you play with John Moss? He was there as well. No, um, Mossy was was just before me actually. But when I came over, I, I heard he was he was a legend of the club. Um, 
But yeah, we, we had a we had a good side. Even Dimitri Mascarenas, the, yeah. the ex. I, I remember when we had the whole side together and we got hammered by Fitzroy in a twenty twenty game. So um, yeah, but it, it was it was more it was more the social side. I, I just remember um, my mate Charlie Burke, who I was living with and now runs kind of Hong Kong cricket, was was playing and and in the the twos really. So I, I would kind of finish up at Essendon and come over and and end up socialising with the Pran guys and there'd be there'd be twenty five guys out, you know. It was just this incredible club. Yeah. Um see I just loved it so I I, I had to move there. So yeah, uh, l- let's talk about moving clubs, right? Like I mean this is Chris Rogers talking about changing grade clubs. That's a big like that's a that's a big thing in grade like did you literally play for Essendon, saw the social side of Paran and said, I've got to be there. I I, I just want to be at the college lawn <laughs> Probably or did someone, say, did someone say like, oh, you know, there's there's five k in it for you? No, no, no. Up. There was it was more um, it, it was more it was as much having a drive across town um, at at five o'clock in the afternoon trying to get to Essendon training. I had I lost interest in that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and then I think grade cricket is as much about the social side as anything else. You know, these guys are playing. Because they enjoy it, they they like hanging out together. That's not to say Essendon wasn't fantastic as well. There's still some guys uh, that I, Scotty Bryant and Craig Berger that I still hang out with. So um, it, it was probably as much the geography as anything. Mm, okay, and then let's just wind back a little bit. Like we talked to Gideon Hay last week and took him back seventy years, and then pushed him forward another hundred years <laughs> and stuff. So there's there's nothing linear about this, but. Um, you grew up in Perth, right? And what it, was, was it in Perth? And, and and did you play a bit of grade cricket there, or were you just always in the um, under nineteen systems and stuff like that, and uh, gave it a wide berth like Brendan Julian? Uh, no, I, I actually I've I've been listening back to the podcast. I feel a bit under pressure. They've been outstanding. So um, BJ was very funny, I yeah. thought, and uh, he actually that that story about when he retired was one of the best things that happened to me because I. When he retired, I got his contract, so yeah, that, that worked out. Good on you, BJ. But um, yeah, I, no, I, I when I was picked uh, in the state under seventeens, I, I was the leg spinner batting ten, and Dave Hussey was the off spinner batting nine. So I, I kind of wasn't really, you know, the, the, the flavour, and and had to do it, you know, go through the, the the grades. Played at Melbourne, and then Dad actually said, "Go play at uni, uni," because he he played at uni in New South Wales, and and they won a couple of premierships. And he said it was the best years of his life. So I went there and that was excellent until um, the coach basically told me that it was the flattest wicket in, in Australia and that um, I wouldn't make it as a batsman unless I moved. So then I was forced to move and um, I, I went to South Perth and, and had some great moments there. Darren Waits is, is still one of my, my best mates. And, um, yeah, it was it was good times there as well. You're, you're uh, I mean, I mentioned earlier that you kind of traverse the cricket scene, but, like, you're close with a lot of guys that are playing in the national side now. You're not long out of it yourself. Do you? I mean, it's hard, probably hard to generalise about the whole side. But like, what connection to grade cricket do you think they have? Do Do you think that that connection to the club that they're from is increasingly disconnected, or do you think that a lot of them um, still feel an affiliation with it? Uh, I can only talk from a bit of what I see in 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 Melbourne, I still think there's love for it. You know, I still see, I went down, I kind of said I'd help uh, St Kilda do a bit of coaching down there, but I've only been down there once. (laughs) um, 
And uh, but you know, Petey Hanscom's still still heading down there. He loves he it. Yeah, loves mm. it. Um, and and I, I think so. I think the guys still love going back to their roots. The, the good thing in Melbourne too is is guys play um, juniors somewhere else than come play grade cricket. Mm. But then when they finish up at grade cricket, they go back to their original club. And that, that's actually different to what happens in Perth. But there's just this kind of affinity with with where they grew up, where they played, and, and it's great to see. This is a special show in the sense – I mean, you were talking about Melbourne. Like, this is a special show in the sense that um, I've decided not to go to Sydney this week. Uh, you're, you've moved to Melbourne. And so it's, it's a little bit of a Melbourne special, you know, tell us, uh, there's a, and we've got a lot of Melbourne listeners out there, you know, what is your relationship to Melbourne? You live here now, you've moved over from Perth, obviously not been tempted by the, you know, bright lights of Sydney. Uh, and I've heard you like bright lights as well, but we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, um, what, what, what does Melbourne mean to you? Oh, I think Melbourne's one of the, the best cities in the world. Um, I've seen a few and, and it kind of suits me. I, I'm... Got red hair and freckles, so so the the sun, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I need to be on Bondo Beach, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, probably suits me a, a, a bit more here. Chapel Street, I don't tend to venture too far, but um, yeah, I, I I guess when this opportunity uh, came up to come to to Melbourne, it was a bit of a no brainer, and 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 being fortunate, you know, met met so many good people and have been well looked after, and it's it's mm. it's kind of all gone gone well since that happened, but. Um, I kind of think you, I, I, I know where you're going to go with that next question, but grade cricket in Melbourne is the most amount of sledging I've uh, I've ever come across, and I've told this story quite a few times. But I, I remember playing my first game against uh, first and against Fitzroy, and uh, and uh, I, I remember batting, and I was copping it from everywhere about, and they were all talking about how I'm not fit to tie. Bobby Quiney shoelaces and then all these kind of things. And there was this Pretty little... Like specific sledge, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there was this little 17-year-old kid with this kind of flock of blonde hair um, at Point Rory Bremner, I'm, I'm led to believe. Um, we've exchanged a couple of messages over Twitter, but um, nice ones, I'll have you know. Yeah. And, uh, and he just kept saying, this bloke's got no idea. I remember I was just... <laughs> Chris Rogers has no idea. <laughs> I just remember... And it was in his... The day, goal. It was in his first game. It was his first game. <laughs> I thought, what a little legend. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's almost the ultimate way to wow for someone, though, is to kind of like appraise their sledging, even if it's directed <laughs> yeah. at you. Yeah. So you think Melbourne grade cricket sledging is worse than anything you experience at any other level, and you have played every other level? Oh, without a doubt. It's like, I don't know, I said it again. They, they play it like it's AFL. They, they're all wannabe <laughs> AFL players. So even even um, selection on a Thursday night, you, you can be there till 10.30 at night. I'm like... Like looking at my watch, going, well, what is going on here in uh, Perth? You, you're done by kind of eight o'clock. And I think see it's you the, later. I think it's the same with Sydney. I actually like. I've, I actually want to do something deeper on this, um, but uh, that's in like in a different life. But like I, I played with uh, lucky enough to play with Graham Rummins at St Kilda. Yeah, and he, he like I'm from Sydney. He pulled me aside once at St Kilda training and said like, look at this. Everyone just wants to pretend they're from AFL. <laughs> yeah. uh, and like you know, talk about life members. He's one of the legends of that club. It, it is funny how like. Really, cricket here is just an expression of AFL love, right? Without a doubt, you can you can see you know even kicking the footy in the morning, uh, in the well morning of the game or before training and all that kind of thing. They they all they all think they should have they could have been top ten in the AFL draft. Yeah. <laughs> can you, uh, okay, so, so I'm going to connect grade cricket with your Test career, and um, you, you know you did so many wonderful things in Test cricket, right? Let's. We, we understand that, but like there was a moment when you were playing in the Ashes where 
uh, and you might be able to fill us in on this, but you were dismissed and someone was in your eye line. Um, and there's a connection between that and grade cricket. Can you fill in the rest of that story? Yeah, I, I, I remember I was, I was 84 and, in uh, Old Trafford, third test and on the verge of, a, of my first century. And I, and I hadn't done very well in, in test cricket by this stage. It was my fourth test. And, um, yeah, all of a sudden there, there's this kind of commotion and, they, and they'd, they'd actually turned the square around at um, Old Trafford, Trafford. Right. so they had to point in a different direction. So all of a sudden this stand, which previously was, wasn't in, you know, had, had anything to do with it, is in Ireland and it was a perfect height, this balcony, and, and then the door kept opening and, and, and closing. And then it just went for ages, this one ball before Graham Swan was about the bowl. And, and there was this bloke, terribly dressed, kind of like looking at me, giving me this big thumbs up. And I was just like, sit down, sit down. Anyway, got out next ball. <laughs> <laughs> I missed a straight one. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have you know. And then uh, kind of uh, sat down and, and I, was, I was sitting there, you know, kind of lamenting the fact that I've missed this chance to get 100 and will I ever get another one? And, and, and I was watching the replays and then they showed this picture of this bloke giving this thumbs up in terrible clothes. <laughs> and sure enough, it was my opening partner at uh, Pran Creek Club, Dan Salpietro. <laughs> so so I, I, I kind of said, oh, you know, oh, that's, that's Dan Salpietro. And, and I think Kate Hutchison was the, the, the media manager and she kind of, heard and, and next thing you know this is spread like wildfire and and Southie's getting I- interviews on on fox sports you know and all these kind of things and it was brilliant anyway I, I, I got out of the day you don't get your phones until after and i just gave him the most ruthless message you bastard you know all this kind of thing yeah. and he should have seen this message he gave oh, i'm so sorry mate you know that it did it didn't really affect it did it <laughs> <laughs> no mate, i just missed a straight one so you just like, i just want to pick up on something completely separate there you said you don't get your phones at the end of the day so like is there a strict valuables bag in this yeah <laughs> I heard that one with Ed, yeah. I, I always thought that too, isn't that? You just, if you hand it in, it's just easier for someone to pick them up, you know. And, I'm sure and the score is not really, theory. the score really double, doesn't double as a security guard, does he? So, uh, the average scorer anyway. So, um, no, they, they I, make I, you give your phones in. Yeah, you, well, it's all about the, the betting, the match fixing stuff these Poor, days. Right. So, That's not funny. I think it's, yeah, no, any, any time is, it's, it's televised. So, and, and yeah, a nightmare because, you watch it now. No one really plays cards anymore or things like that when it rains. If you kind of finish the day, you'll actually sit down. You just watch when they get their phones back. And no one's talking. and They're just all on their phones catching up on messages. Of course. So, yeah. yeah, that would that, that would happen. Um, I want to talk a little bit about punditry as well. You know, like you are, um, in like to my mind, and again, I'm being sycophantic here, but uh, like, a, like comfortably the best um, ex-player commentator on the game out there. What to, I'm, I'm curious about how players make that move. I think about uh, like Gary Neville in football. I don't know if you're you know familiar yeah, with Premier yeah. League and stuff as well. Do you do you put a lot into it? Uh, like behind the scenes, into your comments or your stories or the way you kind of articulate your views on the game. Well, uh, firstly, that's big praise. If you if you go on social media, that's not what always you get. So oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, but um, I go on social media. Um, Oh, n- no, actually, I don't. I kind of, I, I, I've had this, this conversation with Jared Waitley, who, you know, for listeners know, he's this, this unbelievable broadcaster who yes. 
who prepares so well. And, and I kind of, I kind of just said to him one time, I just like to do it a little bit off the cuff. You know, I just, I like to kind of get in and, and talk about what I see and, and, and what springs to mind. And then, and then you tend to not hold back as much, I find. So I, I don't, I try, you, you try to give an opinion without being too bad, but, um, it's been enjoyable. In the end, you're watching cricket and you're talking about cricket. What, what a life. Mm. You said something really interesting the other day that I wanted to ask you about. You were, talk, you were talking about uh, talent, like this concept of talent the other day and like what it means. And I, I, I was interested in something you said about how the Australian selectors at the moment often, or maybe not at the moment, maybe for a long time, they often pick players on one great thing they've done rather than look at what they normally do. Um, like what did what did you mean by that? Yeah, I just think there was always the, the the golden child syndrome. You know, you see a guy who plays an unbelievable innings, and you think, oh well, this guy's got the game; he's going to go and 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 make it. You know, but what what they fail to see is that it kind of takes them a while to get into that state, and and in the meantime, you know, that they'll miss out three or four times, and they won't just miss out; they'll, they'll they'll get like under five or whatever. Um, and it's a kind of burden to the side. So um, I tend to try and look at guys who, who still contribute even when they're, they're, they're not performing at their best. And yeah, that talent's an interesting one. I mean, is it, is it how well you hit a cover driver or is it, is it how well you make decisions? If you're trying to cover drive a, a good length ball, that's nipping away, you're going to nick it. So yeah, it's, it's that kind of, dilemma that um what do you select and and it's been it's been an interesting one for the for the selectors at the moment mm. just on a completely separate note this is a like like this interview is a big privilege for me obviously because of who you are but also like i'm colorblind all right and you know you are like the, the how do you flag. go with the pink ball well um yeah well never good enough to know <laughs> <laughs> but like i found out i was colorblind at like age 22 and I was playing higher grade cricket. And as soon, once I found out I was colorblind, as in officially, like I actually, I always had been, obviously. Yeah. Net sessions became a bit harder. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I'm colorblind. I can't see it. There's no sight screen. Yeah. Um, now you are the. Which yeah. surprises me because look at the color of your shirt you've got on, you know. Like I tend I to. I dress, stick dress to my white. best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, once I found out I was colorblind, my mum said, oh, that makes sense, actually, look, yeah. judging by some of your color choices. But like, how long have you known you were colorblind for? And like, do you legitimately think it affected your ability to play cricket? This answer is important because this kind of sums up my whole career. Um, it, it, I reckon it comes in as a good excuse at times. Yeah. So, uh, and when I drop catches side on, I always blame you know like the trees, the imaginary trees behind and that kind of stuff. But in the end, you kind of you, you adapt and you you get used to it. Um, what sort of colorblindness are you? Red green or, or like full? Yeah, red green. Although. Yeah. Um, the coach, Andrew Walton, asked me to give this at Pran Crew Club, asked me to give this masterclass about hitting when I'd just come back from um, my kind of poor stint at uh, T20 stint at the Thunder, where we, I captain, we lost all eight games, but that's another story. Um, and uh, I stood there and I, I was trying to teach people about hitting, even though I had no idea what I was talking about. But there's a big rick, brick uh, building in behind. I reckon I was bowled about 10 balls. I laid bat on one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what you could say. You're just like, look at Yeah, I did. I blame it. And it was dark. Yeah. Okay. We move on to the uh, the part of the interview, Chris, where we 
give you a few throwdowns. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but basically the questions are probably more about us than you. The other guys have written some stuff in. There's not as many as there usually are, but um, we'll kick off anyway. Um, so just answer them as quickly as you can, and some of the questions are a bit long. 25 okay, so. words or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So this is from Dave. And just bear Hussie. with it. Yeah. No, no. I should have asked him, actually. We always <laughs> ask for anonymous questions. Anyway. Um, this, is, this is from Dave, uh, you know, from The Great Cricketer. He says, Australia has a grand history of odd couple opening partners, Slater Taylor, Hayden Langer, and, of course, Rogers Warner. David Warner once described the two of you as two different people, as in he reads a lot of books. I wouldn't read a book. He is on his Kindle, but I'm on my iPhone looking at news. Does David know that Facebook is not a news site, or was he clicking on those <laughs> fake news articles that swept Trump into office? Do I need to answer there. that one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what do you say about Davey inside 25 words? That's, that's, the, that's the tough one. Um, well, he's the reverend now, isn't he? I mean, he's been coached by an aerobics all-star Yeah, but instructor. I think he's had three personalities in the last two years. So <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be a fourth coming. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Yeah, I wonder what, what's the next incarnation of the, the, the Warner brand. You know what I mean? It's good. It's good. Anyway, look, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll move to the next one. This is, um, this is from Dave as well. On Twitter, you describe yourself in your bio as short, short-sighted, colorblind redhead. Do you have any other physical slash genetic shortcomings you'd like to make public? For example, were you tempted to slip with small hands in at the end of that bio just to cap things off? <laughs> How do you answer that? I'm just oh, reading. I'm the messenger. Uh, I, I listened to your one where Bob Quiney likes to go and shower with uh, <laughs> random showers in, in cricket change rooms. and uh, yeah, There was more to that than we're able to let on. Yeah, on air. He, uh. he, he said, you know, either you're, you're happy or you're not. He, he said he, he usually wasn't, but, you know, I'll leave it at that one. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, Chris, I kind of asked you this earlier, but I, I want a more um, elaborate answer from you. You've scored five test hundreds, 14 fifties, 25,000 first-class runs for multiple teams, played over 300 matches, and now you commentate every Australian test match. How much do you hate cricket? <laughs> As I said, it, it it gives me this chance to enjoy myself without having to have a nine-to-five job. So, no, nah, look, I, I, I love the game and, and what it's given given me. So um, without trying to be funny, I, I, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything. Now, you were telling me off-air, this isn't a throwdown question, that uh, your parents own a cricket ground. Did you say up in Seymour or something? So yeah, maybe describe Seymour, where yeah. Seymour is and like – and, and Seymour, it's about, well, it's about an hour and a half straight up the Hume Highway uh, north of, of Melbourne. And uh, there, there's a cricket ground there. Called, it used to be called the, the Hume and Hovel Cricket Ground. And my, my parents did the, the Grey Nomad just before the, the 13 Ashes. And um, then I got the call up. So they had to kind of, um, you know, shorten this trip. But anyway, someone said, go have a look at this ground there. And they found out it was for, for sale. And uh, they ended up buying it, and it's it's uh, they've loved it. Yeah, there's just just kind of having this private cricket ground where you have uh, corporate games, you know, yeah. some some great pre-season games, um, at weddings, bucks do. Actually, I was I was coming back from England, and I was coming through um, immigration, and and a guy just stopped and said, "Ah, oh, I know you." And I was like, "Oh, okay." He said, "Yeah, you're you're John Rogers' son, aren't you?" And I'm like, oh. <laughs> He said, "Yeah, yeah, oh, we we had a we had a bucks do up at your your oh, things." Yeah, that? And my, my old man apparently got involved, as of course he did, and yeah. uh, 
and gave him a big speech about WG Grace. So there you go. <laughs> How good is that? So your your old man played first class cricket as well, didn't he? Yeah, played played five games yep. um, for New South Wales. Yeah. So did he grow up there as well? Is there some Sydney element to you? Or? Oh, he was from Gosford. Gosford. Uh, right? Yeah, the the kind of central coast. That there are stories of him. Um, hitchhiking for for two hours to go play at, at at Newcastle, you know, each way when he when he was about nineteen, and so so yeah, he he just he loved the game as well, and he, and his brother Derek, my, my late uncle, he he was a legend um, through the the Riverina area at Wagga Wagga. Right, but obviously you're the best player in the family. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, according to Jeff Lawson, actually Derek Derek, my uncle, was the the best of all. So okay. there you go. <laughs> Jeff Lawson would say that. Uh, Channel 9 commentators were recently postulating that players on field style usually reflected their personality. They also said on air that you, Chris Rogers, were an exception. It was an exception to that. Um, Many others also tell me that you're loose. (laughs) (laughs) How do you respond to that? Um, I'm not really sure what you're supposed to say to me. Yeah, but you know, how loose are you? Ah. Loose-ish. I, 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 I'm not sure how you want me to answer that one. I, I, I do remember listening to the commentary when I when I scored my hundred at Sydney, and and there's Ian Healy kind of saying how much of a different bloke I am off the field oh. and stuff like that. So, um, how good is that term "different" yes, in cricket? You're a yes. different bloke. Yeah, got that a lot actually. But really, there, um, yeah, I I like to enjoy myself. Is yes. that? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure where to go with that one. Well, you know, it's a really selfish question like most of these are. It's, it's really about the question. I mean, why don't we just leave it at that? Well, the, the Emerson Hotel is about You're 100 metres it. from my place, right. so I tend to kind of end up there every now and again. Uh, okay, Emerson Hotel. I just have three words um, for this question. Describe your dancing. Energetic. Uh, this is the most serious you've looked for any of yeah, these questions I've yeah, asked yeah. you. You've focused. Yeah. Enjoyable and... Outstanding. There you go. I'll, I'll, Energetic, <laughs> enjoyable, outstanding. But I will say that. Well, I had a bit of a dance-off with uh, Petty Hanscom the other day, and I, I do believe I came out on top, but that, that might be disputed. Okay, sorry. I have to follow up on that. Yeah. Like, you had a bit of a dance-off with oh, Petty well, Hanscom, so can you please you're, – you're an ABC broadcaster. Can you please paint that scene for the listeners? Well, we the great Where thing about you? the uh, the – the day night test matches is is you can't there's no when the game finishes if it finishes the end of the day abc can't fly you home and and save on you know on a on a hotel that night so we, we had to stay and, and hello the abc and then oh, uh, we, we um then yeah so we we ended up kind of uh socializing with with the aussie guys uh Kadich and i were, were, were lucky enough to get invited into the rooms for a bit and then yeah then we went out and we we had a pretty good time, so there was there was a little bit of dancing. I'm, I'm too old set for up it now. I'm too old. I'm way too old for it now. But you know, when you when you've had a few and and, and there's Petey enjoying himself, and I, I'd like to think I taught him a thing or two. You can't help yourself. So there of you course. go. So just uh, uh, sorry to zero in on this, but like I'm imagining now a circle. Like there's a circle. There's maybe oh, we were kind of Mitch, to Mitch Stark, and someone's <laughs> just gone. It's Buck versus actually uh, Pete. Pete. Um, Pete Neville is the other one. Pete Neville, right? Okay. They, they, yeah. I've I've seen him. He's he's exceptional. He's he he can kind of do the Michael Jackson. Well, he plays electric guitar, doesn't he? He's a a guitarist. 
He does all sorts of weird things. He put things. He puts. Is it different by two? Yeah, different. Right. Yeah, he puts things in his ears when he goes out. I don't know if they're fake or not. So, but yeah, and he's 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 a great bloke. He's funny. Also, he like um puts like what little uh, earplugs in his ears when he goes out the yeah. back just to protect his ears for his musicianship. No, no, right. no, no. You know, like in your earlobe where you put the ones in that they kind of. Oh, I think you can have fake ones, can't you? I wouldn't have a clue. Too cool for us. Yeah, okay. So he like like did he ever he ever play any teams? Yeah, you would have played with Pete Neville. I mean, did, did he ever bust out his guitar or anything, or just start wailing a couple of tunes after uh, a win or anything? Just no, nah, that that was Shane Watson. That, right? Yeah, he he loved it. He was he good? Like, was he good at guitar, Shane Watson? Yeah, or yeah, he was he was good when. Um, so Jason Craig is good. He's a good guitarist. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He's loose as well. There you go. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was this is the loose eleven. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah he he uh, he won't mind me saying that though. Um, yeah, what, what's the the cavern in in Liverpool? I remember uh, you can get up and play. Oh, that's where your the Beatles guitar. play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can get up and play your guitar, and 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 what I got up and, and played there he was exceptional. And and after. Um, we won the Ashes in Sydney. We won inside three days, and then we we went to um, oh, I forget this guy's name every time. Own, owns the Ivy, Justin Hems. Hems yeah. yeah, we went to his place and and talk uh, about a Sydney flavour. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was one of the best days of my life. And um, and uh, yeah, Watto got the guitar out again, and he was fantastic. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, I, I'd love to know more about the dance offs there, but I don't think we have time. <laughs> just a final question. Oh, this is from Higos. He just says, "Can I have some gloves?" Uh, I've got no gear left. I, I was never a hoarder either. I, I, I just always got the basic amount of bats and and kind of used whatever I was given. So, um, yeah, I haven't got much gear left. So really? Oh yeah. no. Okay. Well, we always ask. But we've, so far, we've we've had no gear from anybody. Well, I thought McGill, McGill no, doesn't have any. Ed said you can get you can go and pick it up at some place on Oxford. That's right. Oxford Street. That's a good you? point, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you can go to the Salvos and all of his New South Wales kits there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. yeah. Well, Chris. Just a, an immense privilege to have you uh, on the show. I think, um, as I said earlier, you know, a, a cricketer that like we can all relate to, which I think is, you know, testament to how like, excellent you are, how excellent your career was, but also like how accessible you are as a person as well. And you know, wishing you the best for your broadcasting career as well. And just um, you know, please keep talking to us about cricket because there's not enough ex players who just uh, you know who are honest and um, nice to listen to. No, I appreciate it. I read the book, I told you, and, and I remember I was in the UK reading the, the Grey Cricketer book. I was about, it'd be about one o'clock at night, and uh, I'd just be laughing, bursting into tears with the with some of the bits in there. The, the, I cried, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the toss, and uh, and then the, the, the game out the back yeah. at, at Christmas, you know, the family game, that... that that was hilarious. So it's been a pleasure to, to come on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to your credit, you did, uh, you did, you were one of the... Um, People who often, well, not often, but you've written to us via DMs uh, on Twitter and a couple of other storied Australian players do that as well and tell us a few stories on the condition of anonymity. So, you know, if there's anything else you want to write to us that we I can was, tweet out. I think I asked whether when you were you were doing your second book. But yeah, that's right. My other bit about that was, um, before you kicked me off, was was Ed Cowan asking the question about listing, I think it was getting you guys to rate your books from Gideon's Stroke of Genius down to Chris Rogers bucking the trend. So I can't, does that, that probably means mine's the worst of all. That's, how, that's how, yeah, like he really positions himself as the intellectual <laughs> cricketer. Although I understand, uh, and this might not make sense to the listeners, but I mean, we've got Ryan Carter's coming on the show. 
tonight. I think he might be up next uh, in the show. And he's meant to be the smartest guy in cricket above Ed Cowan. All right, yeah. Well, uh, no, is that he's, true? Uh, he's brilliant, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Uh, um, but, yeah. That's a bit harsh from Ed. I would have thought yours but he did, your... he, 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 he texted me and said how much he enjoyed the book. So, you know, what, what am I supposed to take from that? Cowan. <laughs> no, he was, he was very good. Thanks for joining the show, Chris. Uh, yes, hopefully we'll have you on again. Good on you. This summer, we've got the biggest renovation challenge yet. Two teams will have to transform not one, but two broken down grade cricket dressing rooms every single week. There will be tension. What even is grade cricket, Dazza? Why do we take time off work to do this? Come on, Charlesy. Work hard, love. <laughs> there will be drama. I just... I just want to make this perfect. Great cricket deserves a great home. But when the reveal comes, there will be joy. Oh, 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 oh God, lads, boys, look at this, eh? Results, results. Ever since the missus booted me out and took the kids, I've been sleeping in this dressing room. It's a second home to me, literally. So this is, this is really special. For us to be able to come in and give these great cricketers a beautiful new dressing room, one they can drink their beers in, sing the club song, judge each other in the showers, yeah, you know, it makes you feel good. But this ain't no charity. Not when the stakes are this high. I'm not here for a bloody holiday. I mean, if I wanted that, I would have gone to Bali or Thailand. It's Australia's toughest renovation competition. Winner takes all. If I have to dish out a little bit of chin music, I will. <laughs> Presented by Australia's favourite knockabout blue-collared larrikin millionaire. We're giving great cricket the Renault makeover it deserves. Renault Rampage. Coming soon. So we had Gideon Hay last week. Uh, we had mm. Chris Rogers this week. Mm. Ed Cowan several weeks back. Now in the final instalment of our ongoing series with Cricket's Leading Intellectuals, we're <laughs> very pleased to welcome New South Wales and Sydney Sixers player Ryan Carters, Carts Carters, to the podcast. Welcome, mate. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, did you ride your bike here, is what I want to know, because I know <laughs> that you're a very carbon-conscious man. Uh, yeah. No, but I, I caught public transport. I got a bus down from St. Leonard's. And the funny thing is I actually got champed by the bus driver. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that was very appropriate. Uh, I, uh, no, honestly, I stepped onto the bus, yeah. back door, Opal car, ding. Yeah. Bus driver stares at me in the rear vision mirror. Did you tap on, mate? Did I was you like, tap on? Yeah. Yep. It's like, yeah, I tapped on. Well, did it work? I was like, I think so. And suddenly I've got like everyone on the aisle seat staring at me like yeah. I'm some petty criminal. <laughs> Six people trying to get off behind you. And then, and then this kid opposite me sticks up for me. He goes, yeah, he tapped on. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like when the batsman at the other end tells the bowler, get back to your mark, mate. Yeah. Leave this guy alone. They're never short on a champing, are they, the bus drivers? They love a champing, They hold yeah. all the cards. Them and baristas, like they're very big on it, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's probably as close as I'll ever get to fame when like just that many people are looking at you. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like when like you smash onto the keep and you don't walk. And yeah. Everyone looks at you. You hit that, didn't you? you? Go, yeah, I hit it. Yeah, but I've already paid my fees. So <laughs> yeah. As close as you're going to get. Well, he's gone home to his family and said, "Today I champ Ryan Carter." So 
<laughs> he's the ultimate winner. All, all I could think about it is that, mate, you could have been a great third grader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of <laughs> you got it, mate. Now, look, Karts, you're the youngest guest we've ever had on this podcast, um, which is slightly intimidating mm. in, a, in a different way than mm. usual for us. Mm. Um, you've already achieved a lot of great things at quite a tender age, but it is tradition for us to kick things off the same way every week because you know, we have a deep-seated fear of change. Mm. So tell us a little bit about your relationship to grade cricket. We'll go from there. Well, I might, I might tell you where it started. That's probably the, the best way. So I, mm. I signed up for Western District University of Canberra Cricket Club when I was, a, I think, 14-year-old boy in Canberra. First week, got picked in sixth grade. Mm. Didn't even get to play on turf, synthetic wicket. Mm. Leave your spikes at home. <laughs> um, I thought these guys, to be honest, looked like they hadn't played much cricket in their life. Oh, yeah. But I walked out there and got a golden duck. Yeah. Uh, embarrassed yeah. myself. Picked in third grade next week. Mm. So yes. I think... I got the front end of the, the wave of youth hysteria that was <laughs> sweeping Australian cricket yeah. at the time. Half uh, your age plus seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I rocked up to third grade the next week in my whites for the warm-up. Mm. And the guys just Yuck. couldn't, you know, in stitches Yuck. laughing. I didn't understand why. Mm. Yeah. And that was the beginning of being bullied for years to come. Really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it doesn't show, you know, you, you seem well-adjusted now. But, yeah. you know, you obviously were tormented by yeah. those early days in sixth grade. Yeah, sixth grade into th- into the har- harsh environment of third grade straight away. <laughs> I feel like fifth and fourths would have prepared me socially. Yeah. So it was a tough jump. Oh, and then, I, of course, at the end of the day, I got fined um, in my first ever fines meeting for showing up. How th- old were you? 14. 14. <laughs> you got fined. You are at a fines committee hearing at 14. <laughs> who is this? <laughs> who's the sociopath who's going, oh, I've been waiting all week to get this bloke. <laughs> 14, mate. Yeah, I'm going to cash his pocket money at the <laughs> pub. Yeah. Yeah, so I got fined for um, showing up to the ground in whites. We were keeping in short sleeves. Yep. Two classic errors, but I wasn't, wasn't to know. Yeah. Um, so I had to use my pocket money to pay the fine. Well, I mean, we speak about uh, something uh, Dave said before. We, we have a deep-seated fear of change, but you clearly don't. I mean, being uh, raised in Canberra, you studied, cricket, you studied cricket career in Canberra. Uh, then you were in uh, Victoria, and then uh, you found yourself behind current Australian wicketkeeper Matt Wade, and then moved to New South Wales. You've, uh, you've sort of been around the eastern coast so far, so, I mean, the obvious question is any chance to move to Brisbane next? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I might try everything out for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually love playing here in New South Wales. It, um, at the time when I made that change, I think it was a really great decision and I was welcomed immediately by the New South Wales group, um, which was awesome and, and helped me to have a great year in that first season. And you're a, you're a Sydney Uni cricketer. Mm. That's right. Yep. It's a like playing for the most prestigious grade cricket club going around Sydney, Sydney <laughs> Test Cricket. <laughs> oh, kind of you to say that, Dave. Um, <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Like, um, what about Greg Mayle, the stalwart at Sydney Uni? Yeah. He's still around. He's, yeah. yeah. He's made... He's, He's made nearly he 50 delivers. first grade hundreds now. Yeah. Uh, he's just breaking records. Yeah. He made his um, millionth run last week. Yeah. Did yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> yeah, yeah, a million. Yeah. Was there a little ticker going on the scoreboard <laughs> yeah. just ticking yeah. over? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. I've, uh, I've never seen someone with a higher runs to words ratio as a cricketer. <laughs> right. Like, it's unbelievable. He averages, averages 60 in, in first grade and averages 20 words a day. So. So something. So uh, obviously, it's it's that time of year again when the big bash comes around, and uh, that's something that you're um, intrinsically, intrinsically involved in, and that's something that our international listeners will be interested in as well. We've got a lot of people from the UK who tune in each week, and uh, and they love the big bash. Um, tell us what uh, what being around the big bash squad has been like for you, and and it's, I mean it's grown so much over the last few years, hasn't it? Yeah, the, the growth of the big bash has been been pretty crazy. It's really changed um, 
our identities as a way as, as lowly domestic cricketers mm. because suddenly we get to play in front of stadiums full of people and everyone's watching at home on TV. And yeah, what's that like? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us everything. What's it like to be good? Well, <laughs> well it's weird because, you know, uh, two weeks ago, mm. um, so last night we played at a sellout crowd at Spotless Stadium mm. in the um, Sydney Thunder versus Sixers and two weeks ago it was all the same players at the Adelaide Oval playing in Sheffield Shield and no one cared. Yeah. Um, no one shows up. You know, it's just the branding is it's, it's, colours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just colours, yeah. It's colours, yeah. So if you, mar- you know, if you market anything right, it looks good. Yeah. Can we talk about, uh, I mean, Dave and I will, will, will speak about the Big Bash later on, but um, Andre Russell's bat, it was an all-black bat um, for, for people playing at home. Um, what were the thoughts of the players when they saw Andre Russell walk out to bat in an all-black bat with an all-black bat? We actually, you know those warm-up bats that are made of foam? Yeah. Mm. The first thing I thought was, holy shit, he's walking out with a warm-up bat. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I guess it's just a marketing stunt. And, yeah. you yeah. know, tellingly, it's done exactly what it was meant to do. Yeah. Even though it's been banned, I think, now 24 yeah. hours later by yeah. Cricket Australia. Yeah. 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 Right. They've probably got a million or more social media views. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's blowing up on every news station, yeah. even the subversive grade cricketer podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just facilitating all of that. But I just want to ask you, um, you touched on something there before about how, um, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, the state players were playing in front of, you know, nobody, not even their dads were showing up. Um, that was a, a story that went around last week. And uh, it wasn't, I just made that up. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I want to know what it's like as a state player to, I mean, this, this BBL is like an interruption almost in the middle of the season, isn't it? Um, like there's, the season's so fragmented. You start off with the Matador Cup and you play all the, all the one-day games and then you go into like a shield season. Then you break for a few weeks and play the Big Bash and then you go back to playing some shield cricket after. Is it, is it, is it frustrating to not have any momentum into a season? No, I actually like that. Mm. I like that setup. It's like you're playing one tournament at a time. Yeah, uh, okay. We used to go four day into one day into four day into one day. And for me, that was a bit fragmented. Um, but it is a strange time this time of year when you suddenly switch from, for us, from the blue of New South Wales to the magenta of the sixes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like somehow everything goes to a new level. It's like because there's a lot more attention on the Big Bash, suddenly we have to be really intense and like, um, you know. Yeah act like we're all big dog professional players instead of just like <laughs> the same blokes who are taking the piss out of each other, you know, in the warm-up. Yeah. Everyone's like super uptight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just so much money in it, isn't there? There's so many sponsors everywhere. There's a lot at stake. And do you feel that going That's, out there? Yeah, I think you do. That's what I mean. Um, it, it's like feels really high stakes. And um, I think people, are, I've heard like staff around cricket administration sort of joke about it. Like as soon as BBL's on, mm. it's like everything else is off. This is the, like the holy grail. This is the most right. important thing. And yeah. obviously from the traditionalists, there's a bit of backlash. Like, well, the Sheffield Shield's the most important thing. And yeah. let's get this gimmick out of the way and concentrate on the real stuff again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like the purest point of view, like, I mean, everyone loves, everyone who loves cricket loves test cricket. But there is something that's amazingly exciting about the Big Bash. Maybe it's a time of year it's on as well. Everyone's off work. Mm. You know, middle of summer, Christmas, that kind of stuff. I mean, the players must actually like really love thousands of people yeah. each week. I mean, the average last year was like thirty thousand people turning up. It's to in the, the yeah, it's in the top ten most attended leagues in the world. Yeah, out of all sports, yeah. so AFL is like fourth. I think Big Bash is eighth or ninth. So it gets big numbers. Yeah. Um, and of course, you get to use the alliteration of Big Bash. Really, really, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, I mean, my question to you is that. Mate, the, the players must be as excited as um, the punters going through the gates, aren't they? Oh yeah, no, we absolutely are. Like as I said, it, it's um, like it's amazing for for players who never make it to international cricket, um, but play first class level. Suddenly, you get a chance to play in front of big crowds and mm. and have those really exciting moments, and perhaps that kind of 
public triumph that you'd probably always dreamed of as a kid. Yeah. So, yeah. Always. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we would like to talk to you today a bit mm. about your charity, uh, Batting for Change. Mm. It's, it's a big part of the Big Bash, actually, every year. And I know that uh, last night or... Tuesday night, for those listeners mm. who might be catching up with this podcast, uh, that was the start of the Big Bash and the start of Batting for Change's involvement in the Big Bash. Can you just tell us a little bit about the charity that you launched and tell us uh, who it's for and, and kind of how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called Batting for Change, and I founded it three years ago in partnership with the LBW Trust. They're an existing charity in Sydney, and they support education for disadvantaged young people around the cricket-playing world. And I came to them with an idea. How about... We try and raise money using the Big Bash League, which is, as discussed, skyrocketing in popularity, and ask people to log on to battingforchange.com.au and make a pledge for every six my team hits. Um, so at the time, that was Sydney Thunder. Now, obviously, it's the Sydney Sixers. Mm, yep. And so people would log on. Sure enough, I'll give $1 per six, and then at the end of the tournament, if we'd hit 47 sixes, we'll get in touch and say, hey, can you pay us $47, please? And I really didn't know if it was going to be successful or not at the time. I just wanted to do something because I was really confronted by the inequality I'd seen often traveling around the world on cricket trips. Mm. Uh, I think it's probably particularly highlighted when you're in that situation because you're there as like a sports person um, and then but just outside the stadium, mm. you know, for example, the slums of Chennai or Mumbai where um, literally millions of people are living on less than a dollar per day. And it's just, I don't think you can really stop and sort of put your life on hold for five minutes and reflect on that and not feel like you want to do something because it's just fundamentally not right. Mm. Um, so it's not about turning your life around and thinking, okay, you know, I have to be Mother Teresa, but I think it's about, well, what's a, a realistic way I can contribute in a small way? So we've tried to create a platform for that so people can have fun, watch the Big Bash, have a joke with their mates. Oh, no, I just lost another five bucks. Thanks to this carts bloke. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, on the other hand, they know it's going to women's education and trying to level that playing field and, and give these girls an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, it's been amazingly successful. I mean, perhaps even more successful than what you had anticipated um, or even hoped for. I mean, it was, uh, was it 13, 14, um, there was $30,000 raised for the Nepalese women. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, did you have any sort of monetary goals, a number in mind, a figure, or was you just kind of putting it out there and just seeing how it went? Because, I mean, it's, it's gone from strength to strength since then. We did actually set 30000 as our goal that year, and we managed to get it spot on. So um, I don't know if that was just serendipity or, or good planning, but that's how it worked out. And then the following year, we raised over 100000 and then last year, 140000 So mm. our goal this summer is 150000 which would be more than we've ever raised. And in particular, I'm really excited about launching a new project for women in Kenya who have grown up in a rural village, have just finished their high school education, um, which is almost unprecedented in their village, but... Mm. Let alone that, a, a few of them are really keen to go to university. So from um, 35,000 of this, 150,000 is going to go towards this group of women to be the first, some of the first ever from their village to go to university. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and I'm gobsmacked in, in a lot of ways because, uh, I mean, it's awesome that you can just come on and speak about this thing because, you know, a lot of time we take the piss out of everything. A lot of the time, all the time. This <laughs> here. So, I mean, it's amazing to hear about you talking about these things that are so important and so passionately as well. Um, this, this venture into Kenya is, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a little bit different to the stuff you're doing in India. It's, more, it's almost uh, delving into, like, social activism uh, in a way. Would you agree with that? Uh, I'd say it's got an additional angle. Um, right. The additional angle is to do with fe female genital mutilation mm -hmm. and child marriage mm -hmm. because both of those things are very common in this particular part of Kenya. It's in the Maasai community. Um, and the woman, Kikenya Natala, who founded this project over there, 
um, she makes it a condition of these women receiving this education that they will not be genitally mutilated and they won't be married until the age of 18. So it's, it's a great way of, I guess, fighting those two evils at the same time of creating the good of women's education. Mm. So in terms of people who want to support Batting for Change and they, want, they might want to donate to the cause, how can they kind of get in touch with or the organisation? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. It's all online at battingforchange.com.au. It's, it literally takes 30 seconds to make a pledge. You go, what, my name's Ryan Carters and I'll give you $5 for every six you hit this year or $1 or 50 cents. You know, all donations, great and small, do go a long way. I think the, the grade cricket fraternity could reach out to batting for change. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of money going through the fines system at grade cricket. If That's they put true. Those yeah. instead of towards end of season piss ups. Yeah, maybe you could put it into something yeah. a bit more worthwhile this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people buying second pairs of batting gloves that they'll never mm. need because um, they've never batted more than 15 minutes in a match. So why spend 120 dollars on a pair of grade nickels uh, <laughs> when you can actually support yeah. people in need instead of thinking about yourself, you selfish prick? That's right, loyal Just... listener. <laughs> <laughs> Just go for a second-tier brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we'd love if you stick around for the next segment. Uh, we'll take some questions from the, uh, the, the grade cricketer social media audience, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Absolutely. Big day? No, big night. I've got to clean up the last two wickets, sing the song, do the covers, sing the song, drink 42 beers in the sheds, have a shower, sing the song, publicly objectify my teammates' ribs, compare sizes, tell everyone how good I was when I was 17, go to a strip club, lie to my wife, then spend all of Sunday being an emotionally absent father and husband. (sighs) Big nights start with grade cricket. Lying to yourself has never been harder. Uh, Lads, it's that time of the week where yep. we answer your questions you being the great cricketer audience yep. uh, thank you for sending those in you can always do so with the hashtag AskTGC mm. via Twitter or via Facebook um, this one comes from Kieran Purnell he says my father as I will hear again on Christmas Day played great cricket with a number of international players he was apparently good mates with one time international cricketer of the year Bruce Yardley Mr. Yardley came to our house for dinner a number of times and once called my off-spinner to my eight-year-old cousin unplayable. He would also give Dad members tickets to the tests in Melbourne. One day, Dad told me to mind our members' seats and he took my sister into the Australian dressing room. I left the seats and peered through the window at my father and sister meeting the Australian players. (laughs) Was 20 years of persistent mediocrity in park cricket and my sister's lifelong brand loyalty to Benson Hedges a proportional response on our behalf? Or as I am beginning to suspect, some sort of father-son Machiavellian power play. <laughs> so he's not scarred by this at all. No, no, it's been 20 years and he's barely talking about it on social media in front of 30,000 people on Facebook. But um, well, uh, where does one begin? Cuts. Ryan. Reasonable trade-off, really. I mean, 20 years of your life, but an opportunity to watch a Boxing Day test at the members. <laughs> yeah. Peer through the window on an Australian dressing room. Yeah. Does anyone have um, Bruce Yardley's number? He's just flicking away Boxing Day members <laughs> tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I love the respect he's given to like, Mr. Yardley. Mr. Yeah. Like, he had like a full yeah. relationship with him. It's still very 1960s. That sounds problematic to me still. I mean, why, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why, why was his sister invited into the, into the Australian team's dressing room? Now, I don't know much about you know, cricket in the 1980s, but uh, I'm going to guess that it wasn't really a, a child-friendly mm-hmm. zone. Um, I, I would like to get uh, Kieran Purnell's sister's angle on this. Yeah. Um, I think we what she to. saw. I mean, well, the things she would have seen, the things unspeakable, she would have seen, unspeakable horrors in those change rooms. I mean, <laughs> horrors. I mean, he probably the dad probably realised that he was already dining out on his Bruce Yardley anecdote of of mm. fooling his his mm. cousin with an off spinner, you know, mm. all those years ago. So mm. he thought, well, even the ledger will bring this 
my, my daughter can join me in, in this wonderful <laughs> moment and experience, you know, this wonderful moment of cricket. Well, I'd like to speak to Mr. Purnell about batting for change because it sounds like he's all about women's education and empowerment. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Some great synergies going here on the Great Cricketer Podcast. Uh, Battingforchange.com.au. Um, next question comes, <laughs> comes from Graham Batty. Uh, and this is one of my favourite ones of the week because uh, it's a right. true story. Recently, a Sydney grade cricketer was sacked after it was found out he was doctoring the scorebook and changing his bowling figures to make them look better. Is this a sackable offence from a cricket club or prison time? I'll let you boys decide. Graeme, interesting question. Um, so this is actually a true story because I, I, I chased Graeme up and I, I right. said, Graeme, is this, is this real? And he said, yes. I won't name the club because it's, that's not necessary, but it is a real thing. Okay. And it's a third grader. Right, um, so of course, a it's young a third, third grader. Six in third grade. <laughs> Just the middle of everything. Yeah. So he's a young third grader in Sydney Test cricket. And uh, and he's changing his bowling figures. Uh, Cards, have you ever come across this in your life? <laughs> have you ever considered this in your darker moments? <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I've heard when I played in England when I was eighteen, a guy started dating the scorer. Who um, <laughs> <laughs> was, was a woman? Yeah, and and whose like, wife was it? I, I th- <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was reasonable to assume he was angling for some doctored bowling results. Oh, yeah. Um, as well as a long-term yeah. relationship. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully both came to fruition. I mean, yeah. it's a victimless crime, isn't it? Because the data, I presume, has already been entered into my cricket by then. So what's the point of it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, what's the difference between... I mean, we've all done it as a thought crime, haven't we? Yeah, of course, yeah. And absolutely talking later in the pub that night, we've all done it. Mm-hmm. So I guess, is there a difference? It's a bit of an Orwellian theme here. Mm-hmm. Between the thought and the actual action, or have you already committed the crime? Yeah, it feels all very Watergate, doesn't it? Um, in some way, I haven't thought that through at all. But, um, <laughs> but is this a sackable offence from a cricket club? I don't know. No. I yes. Don't, I, no. It's not prison time. It's not prison time. Home detention, maybe, yeah, but not prison yeah. time. I mean, not, weekend detention. Like, yeah. selection, like selection in general across the middle grades. I think it's age dependent. I think <laughs> yeah. like if he's under twenty five, <laughs> yeah. benefit of the doubt. If he's over yeah. twenty five, yeah, he's only a minor. It's probably goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Good behaviour. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from Tom Guy, uh, and this is this is a pretty interesting one actually. He says, "My wife told me to change my son's nappy in a pub in London. In the absence of changing facilities, I had to put him in the only sink in the gents. Halfway through, he started pissing everywhere, all over me, all over him." Spanish-looking bloke comes out of the... <laughs> He's got some writing skills, this bloke. Spanish-looking bloke comes out of the cubicle, unable to wash his hands as we're blocking his path. Immediately, he says, good luck with that champ. Now, was he offering me, or is he genuinely sympathetic? And is this champ or champ... Is this champ or be champ thing, which I hadn't come across until the great cricketer, widely applicable in other cultures? Now, Ryan, you've got a lot of experience with other cultures. Yeah. Does the champ or be champ philosophy transcend Australian grey cricket culture into, you know, into, into the offshore? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, there's a different, <laughs> there's a different word for it, but it's universal, yep. isn't it? Yeah. We saw it. It's on buses in northern Sydney. We, we learned that today on my way here. I think, I think there's not a culture in the world that doesn't champ or be champ. Absolutely. I wonder, what's the campeon? Is that the Spanish word for champ? Yeah. have to check with our Spanish listeners. That's actually how the, the champs delice got its name. Someone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. someone champed its delice. Very good. So the question is, is Tom, was Tom being Alfred in that, in that environment was his question? Well, I think as a rule of thumb, if, if you're asking, am I being Alfred? You're being Alfred. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's similar to gambling. It's like, do I have a problem? Yes, you have a problem. Yeah. You've always got a problem if you have to ask. I mean, I think the bloke has seen that Tom 
is struggling here and he's tried to be nice. I don't think he's champing you in, in the traditional sense that, you know, the cordon chirping away at you as you've played and missed for the eighth consecutive delivery. Yeah. It's more of a friendly kind of... It's. I mean, I know that champ is essentially always seen as a derogatory kind of term. Not It's the opposite of a term of endearment. Uh, 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 yes. It? But it, it can come as, uh, I guess, faux endearment as well. Mm. Like, say you, you made like... A, you made an, an ugly 15 mm. and then nicked off to gully. Then you walk off and uh, your teammate says, great effort, champ. Mm. Yeah. Is it endearment? Well, yes, but it's mm. also highly condescending. Oh, you, you go crazy thinking of all the levels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is it benevolent? Is it belligerent? I don't know. <laughs> um, Ned Weatherly Ned writes in on the old uh, FB as well. He said, hey, guys, love the show. Here is a question for the podcast. I've represented Australia in athletics in hammer throw, arrogant, but my dad once made back-to-back centuries while batting number three and keeping in Premier Cricket. Who is the alpha in this relationship? <laughs> I think we've discovered that Australians have an obsession with alpha and beta <laughs> yeah, yeah. relationships. And father issues. Isn't yeah, father issues yeah. is the great... Well, I mean, Karts, I feel like, um, without putting words in your mouth, I think you've answered the question. If you have to ask who is the alpha in this relationship, it's not you. Yeah. Your dad's not asking that question, is he? <laughs> no. Your dad's got tons in Premier Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> He's just having a beer at the yeah. pub, champing blokes left, right and centre. <laughs> All right, we've got one here from Greg Powell. Mm. Uh, another longish one, he says, and it's a good anecdote. Yep. I played fourth grade with Rob Quiney, friend of the show. In one game, he got out before me, and, and we were in a bit of trouble, or as he says, froth and bubble. I then bizarrely overheard first slip saying, this bloke, referring to me, is the only bloke who's shown anything. Possibly the first case of reverse sledging in grade Premier Cricket, so I promptly nicked the, nicked the next ball straight to him. Decade and a half on, I feel satisfied that I was once considered a better batsman than a test player. I never played higher than third grade. Is it okay for me to continue to use this story amongst those with some knowledge of the game? Cuts. <laughs> is he okay to continue this anecdote? Yeah. I think the key phrase there is some knowledge of the game. Mm. Um, mm. I think very low level knowledge. Yep. Absolutely ride that for all it's worth. So <laughs> at, at Christmas, yeah. should, he be, should he be saying this? And Christmas is coming. It's around the corner. Any, anyone who's played anything above a year 10D sort of level <laughs> of cricket, I, I'd be very hesitant to use that. I love the reverse sledging. It's, I've experienced it myself. I'm not, I'm not sure if you have, he goes. But um, it's obviously designed to make you feel bad. Yes. But it had the reverse effect on me. I thought, you know, maybe I am good. <laughs> maybe, this, maybe I have shown something. In this case, it's obviously <laughs> rattled him massively, but yeah. it's just classic reverse psychology. So, I mean, Karts, but you, you've, you would have played in cricket matches with test players playing and you would have done better than said test players. Like Ed Cowan has played some test matches. Um, he keeps te- texting us about it. Um, but uh, in some games you would have played with him and done better than him. So that must make you feel pretty good that you've done better than a test player. But you're good yourself, so I don't know how that works. Uh, I'm just talking to myself now. Is <laughs> <laughs> anyone here? No one's well, here. I mean, <laughs> you guys would have scored more runs than first graders sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but playing fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. It's not no, like and like. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. No, I mean, no, you're beginning to sound like my mum now, like comforting me as like... <laughs> <laughs> when I averaged 30 in another season, she's like, it looks at the scorecard. God, oh, but you were the top scorer that day. We got bowled out for 86, mum. Like, I made 22. <laughs> What's a... Yeah, but Stephen Smith didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you actually put your average against like that kind of thing? Or what, what's a good average to, to, for you? Like, I mean, honestly, what, what, do you, what would you feel comfortable and happy with as an average? Mm. Oh, <laughs> would you be like satiated? Well, you remind me. You, you remind me. I think forty's good, and thirty's yep. not quite, mm. not not quite there. Okay. Mm. And I actually, I remember my first grade 
my fir- sorry, my first game of first grade cricket back mm. in Canberra. Mm. Um, walked out to bat. ACT cricket head of high performance is mm. there. Um, <laughs> all right, mate, let's see what you got. Average third at the under-17s last year. That doesn't count for F all now. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that kind of hurt because he was a bit yeah. of a mentor, you know, in my life. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hard and luck. you know what really hurt? I averaged 40 in that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't say so that out of your breath. 40 and 30, it's a different ball game, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? 40 is almost 50-odd. I'm just, I'm just putting that there. Um, last question, uh, and it's an excellent one from Dan LaFranchi. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Almost definitely not. It's on Twitter, uh, but he's taken a screenshot from his notes. Um, Damien LaFranchi. Right. Uh, dear TGC, I've not played grade cricket for 11 years, but every year I religiously check the club's records list to see if I still hold the fourth grade, fourth wicket partnership record. The record was set in 1995 season, in the 1995-96 season and was my last real success, if you can call it that, in grade cricket. I secretly hope it never gets better and my name is for all eternity etched in grade cricket's record books. Is my pride in this record validated or am I still harbouring feelings of unfinished business, unfulfilled potential in the grade cricket arena? Damien. Current fourth grade, fourth wicket record holder at Sandgate, Redcliffe CC. <laughs> and he says, PS proof attached, and he's taking a screenshot of the post. <laughs> if he hasn't already contacted them, that's definitely Yongo's tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually looked up his LinkedIn. It's on his LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Uh, fourth wicket partnership. It's only 123. Uh, so yeah, that's what I got out of that. Yeah, he's, How's record, it not been broken? I'm not sure if this is proper grade cricket or if this is like... Some, nah, it's one of those things where they think it's grade cricket, but yeah, it's really I'm, bad. I mean, if, if the fourth grade, fourth wicket record partnership ever is 123, yeah. like there's... Well, like, it's, yeah, it's not Sydney Test cricket. It's not it? Sydney no, Test cricket, Ryan talking, Carters. We're no, talking Brisbane. Not, yeah. It's not a bad standard. It but, feels, like, it feels yeah. Adelaide to me. It feels really... <laughs> it's Adelaide, isn't it? Yeah, it feels where like Sean Tate's batting four and bowling off spin but still taking wickets and scoring runs, yeah. Uh, well, I think we've answered that for him. <laughs> <laughs> has he been Alfred? We think he has. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for your questions. That's it for another week on the Great Cricket Podcast. Carts, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. Mm. Uh, Chris Rogers was fascinating earlier in the podcast. Mm. Uh, he goes, great to be with you as always. It's an and, absolute pleasure. Uh, Sam will be back with us next week. We look forward to seeing you then.